to the Construction Big Breakfast, where we give you a hearty serving of insider tips and business strategies to help fuel your day so you can thrive in the construction industry. Now, here's your So, host. good morning, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Brendan Morahan, your host, and welcome to the Construction Big Breakfast. Today, we'll be discussing the value of good design and how sometimes this is eroded or indeed even missed. And today, joining me for the podcast, I'm delighted to say we've got Philippa Buckley from Studio Design, 40, Studio 44 Design. Sorry, Philippa. Okay, that's okay. Important to get the name right, doesn't it? Yes, Studio <laughs> 44 Design. So I'm delighted you're, you're here to join us, Philippa. Maybe you would give a, just a brief introduction to yourself and maybe do it better than I just have done to our listeners, please. That's quite all right. Hi, Philippa Buckley, um, Studio 44 Design. I set up the business about... Uh, 20 years ago now and we specialize in interior architecture and design mainly for residential clients but I've worked on some commercial projects but ideally we work with private clients on residential projects with homes that are being renovated either extensions or completely gutting a house and starting again which is quite a trend as I know we're going to discuss trends on the market so that's our business model so to speak very detailed plans, etc., that we would draw up for clients and we take it from there. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to, to join us this morning. And before we get into that discussion, as always on this podcast, we ask, what did you have for your breakfast this morning? I had two slices of um, Noreen's breakfast bread, which is, that's what it's called, uh, packed with, it's yeast-free and packed with fruit and nuts and seeds etc always toasted and a cup of tea very sensible very two sensible. cups of tea actually <laughs> well, well yeah i was equally sensible i think i had my usual flavens porridge uh with some blueberries and uh bananas washed down with a bit of coffee so uh yeah nice yeah. start to the morning good and, and yep. as, as you and i know we both work both sides of the Irish Sea. Um, yeah. So I think what would be interesting for our listeners is to, to get a context of the differences, but also the similarities between the two markets. So, you know, as I said in the introduction, it's really about the value of design. And what I'd be interested to know in, in your experience, what are the innovations that you think you see taking place in design at the moment? Or what do you think are the emerging trends? Well, We'll start off with the residential market. And I think if we even take the pandemic into it and the effects, because we even got work during the pandemic from uh, private clients who are supposed sitting in their homes and realizing their homes don't function um, because we need a lot more from our homes to maximizing spaces and um, create a better standard of living, a sort of a hybrid living now between work and home. So the trends in with regards to renovation is that people have an emphasis now on energy efficiency, reducing their carbon footprint and saving money in the long run. So with government grants, both sides of the Irish Sea, people are inclined to take these incentives. And if it's a complete renovation project, we're looking at, you know, glazing, heating systems, lighting, insulation, all lighting is now LED and controlled People like an element of this to be able to operate from mobile devices. Another side of the residential, and I've worked with some of these investment companies who are now buying these blocks for buy to let for people who are renting. And I see a higher spec 
in all these apartments because they're thinking now in terms of design and the end user who's their target market how are we going to fill out these spaces now kit them out even with furniture so that somebody can just walk in and go this is my space for rental um, and I think the hybrid living has forced us to rethink and evaluate and get more value from our homes but at the same time your carbon footprint people are very conscious of that now yeah sure and it's interesting that as you say there are products and services in play now that are using emerging technology but what about the design pro process so interested to know how yeah. the design process is is, is engaging well, with emerging technology and how it's deploying emerging technologies yeah technology now is uh, it, it's really like harnessing it all be it, be it construction to architects to designers between um you know virtual reality 3d printing drones uh, mobile technology all of this of course adding to the fact that there's less hazardous than uh, working environment on the site and it speeds up the information from say the designers over to the clients and the end users I mean, during the pandemic, I could still be designing on the computer, emailing it over uh, and people coming back, getting 3D, as I said, printing or virtual reality tours around a house. If people are prepared to pay for it, that's what they want. It's all there and it's improved our visual and co communication techniques between each other, as well as, as I said, harnessing safety, particularly on site. That's interesting because the technology you're referring to there arguably has existed for some time but it sounds like we didn't deploy we're it properly we were forced. No. And, and in being forced to use it what benefits are you seeing either from a design perspective or from a client side or indeed what are the uh, the problems that are being created as a consequence of that uh, easier communication, there's no doubt about it, between clients and ourselves or myself and an architect or an engineer that we're not constantly having to meet. You know, it's like we're yeah. using the technology more. Before that was, oh, we set a meeting, we go out, we meet. Now we're just here and we're in our offices and we're able to communicate easier with Zoom technology. I don't see it as a problem. OK, the problem is that we do need to get on site if it's construction, but everything's a bit more focused now. Like people have cut down on travel, people have cut down on the need to meet as often as they felt they had to. And obviously, good construction people, as there are builders, etc., they're tapping into all the technology. And yes, as I spoke to a builder during the week, yes, I'm available to come on site, just give me a bit of notice and we go through the plans of printout. I do think I'm still a fan of printing and having the paper in front of me and being able to scribble over it and come back and make changes. But to me, it's it's just harnessed and made life a little bit easier. It's interesting um, because in, in my experience, there's all, there has always been this eternal dilemma of clients complaining that I've explained what I want, but they don't seem to get it. They can't seem to replicate that in the designs that are being produced. And conversely, designers saying that we've got a frustrating client, they don't appreciate um, the importance of design, that they don't appreciate some of the nuances. They think they can make these quick changes. They don't seem to understand the implications and the ramifications of that. That well, could be being exacerbated by that distance or is, is actually the, an issue now that it's forcing people to, to get a better design appreciation and a better communication and understanding. Well, 
Do you know, it, it works in kind of both ways because it, you, I think our business, particularly architects and designers, it's all about managing clients' expectations. So at the beginning, when you explain actually how you're going to present the project, and particularly my end, an architect will always come in and clients know that an architect is going to design the shell of the building. It's my job then if I'm employed to take the whole inside a holistic view and do very detailed plans so they get a very clear vision. Now, I will say that's, you know, a lot of designers won't work like that, but it's about expressing at the beginning, setting out your contract, what we're going to give in terms of design services so that the client has a clear visual. If they want a 3D reality, that takes a lot more time, costs a lot more money, but if they're prepared to pay for it, that's fine, that can be done. There's nothing worse than being on site and things are changed and the client doesn't see that then reflected back in the plans just because the architect or myself understands the builder. If we're going to make changes, again, it's back to the contract. I'm very specific with my contracts, what clients are going to get in terms of drawings, plans. Yes, we will make changes to accommodate, uh, obviously not relentlessly, but, you know, that's... I. I think there's a problem, you're right, if the communication is broken down in terms of them not perceiving that they're getting the value as to what they thought they were. Again, I always think of an English client who said to me a few years ago, it's all about managing our expectations. And it is, regardless, because a service-based industry, a bit more like my own, it's not tangible. I need to sell that service, design it and deliver it. And of course, quite often, you are part of a an integrated design team. So yes. you've got that vertical, or I beg your pardon, horizontal communication to get right as well. Um, yes. So one part of that design team can appreciate and understand the client's expectations. But so what if the whole team doesn't and the ultimate design isn't truly integrated to meet the expectations? Any challenges there that you've faced and overcome or uh, any pleas <laughs> to... Uh, Technology yes, is in resolving that. Yes, it, it is a challenge, particularly as I find sometimes if the client has appointed the architect first, but I, I refer to a residential project at the moment, and then wants me to come in and work with them. So the architect, he or she might not be so pleased that I'm coming in on board. And in some ways, I can understand this trepidation. They might think a designer is coming in and taking their design intent and changing it to suit their own needs. So, yes, I, I'm there at a stage in life where I explain and say, actually, no, this is going to be combined uh, expertise. You've got a skill set. I've got a skill set. We're going to give the client what they're looking for, enhance their vision and harness our two expertise. Now, it takes explaining. And sometimes some architects are once they realize the kind of work we do as a company are very glad to have that assistance. Some others, like I'm on a recent project at the moment where the architect isn't happy I'm there. And I'm just having to accommodate that and you know realize, well, look, at the end of the day, I did say to them, we're going to work together on this. Let's give you know the clients a project that they really will be happy with. But it takes a lot of going through. So it varies, put it that way. And then like that, I've brought in an architect on our own team. So if we want to go in as a one-stop shop, so therefore there's less um, friction, should I say, from the start. But 
you know, so far I could say I could work, I'm happy to work either way, go in with the client's architect, because sometimes that takes a little bit of the burden off us as well, because they have their role and function. And once it's a combined and harmonious relationship, I think the clients are really benefiting. As I think I said to you briefly before when we chatted, it's difficult sometimes for me to explain to a client, you know, this is your designer, that's lovely. And you think, well, no, I don't just do cushions and curtains, actually. We do the interior architecture. So that's, it, it takes a bit of explaining. And it's only when clients, I think, realize the value that I've added or the company has to a project, do they then appreciate and pass on, thankfully, word of mouth. Most of our business is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Both sides of the Irish Sea, which is yeah. good. And there's that eternal balance in design about between form and functionality. And to a certain extent, a lot of what we've discussed so far is more on the form side of that equation. We've seen a number of experiences where people have been too focused on the form and not thinking about, particularly in in residential, again, as you say, where you're adapting existing structures. They haven't taken proper covenants of the structure they're dealing with. Um, And as well as that, you've referred to... um, sustainable uh, technologies and the like yeah not really thinking about the cost in use thereafter so it looks great on day one but how do you maintain it and how does it continue to perform into the future any uh, thoughts or insights as to how that is being dealt with better or worse as a consequence um, of recent events well i i think again post covid or during covid functionality is key and form has to follow function in other words in a house there's no such thing anymore as a good room or a dining room <laughs> as they used to have you know the trend still for open plan kitchen living dining with zone is still there in vogue and then other zones which can be used for either parents or children with a playroom or a designated home office i mean that's when you look at the property section in any newspaper now home offices are big so function i think is key And then I would sit with clients at the start of plans and tease out their lifestyle. They talk about little kids and parents, but they're not always going to stay little. So let's start thinking about how the house is going to evolve and be useful for you when they're teenagers, where they're going to bring their friends in. And then start thinking, yes, actually, you're right. So it is for me even a thought process with families, whether it's a couple, an individual or family, how if you're spending this money on a renovation project is this going to sustain you for the number of years you want to live here i think the question people ask now there was a trend years ago particularly in ireland before the crash of having too many homes (laughs) so now we are concentrating on the one home and the functionality of it and how they can improve the quality of living and stop moving around and travel as we know is still restricted so why not enjoy the one house you have with the best of everything and I do think standards have improved people want more you know television programs have given us a good insight grand designs which we all love and uh, George Clark for example on on English TV we have Dermot Bannon here room to improve and this has given people thought process of how even in a small house what you can do to create a more comfortable living environment and I think that's where we're at and I think that's a really important point I agree with you there is a greater appreciation of um, what can be achieved and how the importance of design contributes to that but have you seen any recognition that therefore clients are prepared to pay for that 
Yes, absolutely. Yes. Really? And, uh, you know, you might start off as people do with a specific budget. Well, there's always problems, particularly if you're renovating. But to begin to see the value, if somebody hasn't been outsourcing or shopping, because I would bring clients with me, you know, to various outlets. And they start saying, gosh, yes, I could have this in my own home. So suddenly their mind is opened or they've seen it on TV or they buy, you know, magazines, interior ones or architecture. And yes, they want a slice of that. Particularly in things like lighting, I would be big into lighting design. And when you explain to people how you can control it, and again, that's part of technology. So I can have the heating control on my phone, mobile apps, which aren't just a gimmick. They're now becoming, yes, actually, it's a good thing to have because I'm reducing energy, setting scenes of my lighting and not blasting up electricity and having to turn it down to set a scene. So yes, that's had, um, I think, a big influence. But are you seeing downward pressure on fees? Oh, they'll always negotiate fees. So, you so know, how, do you, how enough, do you, I, how I do you reconcile that? Well, I say to somebody recently, you know, you go to the doctor, solicitor, and they give you a fee. You've never questioned it. As a designer, you get now, and both I'll give you both sides. In fact, in England, they less into negotiating. The Irish ways. So, what do you do for your fees? <laughs> straight away uh, actually no they are my fees and like that it's then set out in a contract stage payments and I'm at the stage and I guess in the business we're in I'm really not into negotiating because I don't actually I give you a line I work to a standard not down to a price and that's my line to clients actually so I've given you my fees I didn't put them in to bring them down mm-hmm. and uh you know, as I said to the beginning, then it's explaining what you can do. Would you like to phone so-and-so and see what we do? And then I know, well, then we're okay. And it's about being firm because I think we're, because it's a service, they want to negotiate, but you don't haggle as it with other professions, but suddenly the designer is, yeah, yeah. what can you do it for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the reason we love construction so much is part of the, the challenge and the complexity of it. And you can get the client right. You can get the right design team on board. You yeah. can redesign. It can be truly integrated. But then it's got to be delivered. And again, yes. we, speak, we speak with old, old sides of the industry and quite often we hear the delivery side talking about unrealistic designs and we hear about designers yeah. who have delivery teams who don't respect the design. Any, uh, any thoughts on any examples of where that's gone particularly well and why? And... What are the initiatives that you can see out there trying to address those sorts of dilemmas? Um, I think it's back to communication being key, regardless of the size of the project, and back to the management of client, managing clients' expectations, even if it's just, you know, we'd have a number of projects, an email every few days, I was on site, this is the update today of whatever, if it's only something small for them, whether it's their bathrooms or whatever, is that you're keeping it flowing, that they don't think they've been forgotten. Because, and and that goes within the team as well, whereas the engineer, the architect, that comes together as site meetings. If we're going in as a one-stop shop, we'd be to have the regular site meetings every two weeks. And I encourage from a part of a team that we all meet as well with the client so everybody's informed. Otherwise, yes, things get thrown apart and I did have that experience recently with an architect when I was parachuted into a job saying oh well I've worked with designers before and they don't follow up on anything 
I thought I will follow up all right and everything then is is delivered on time so that he wasn't disappointed that I was going to let let him down with regards back up but you see people work in different ways Brendan I suppose it's not uniform across the industry it's a bit like well everyone's professional people behave differently so to put it in a big circle yes I would think communication between everybody contractor engineer architect designer and the clients all work together so that at the end of the day happy client will recommend you because we're all only as good as our last jobs really both sides of the Irish Sea is small recommendation is key and nobody wants to be told well it didn't actually really work out okay the odd time you will get very difficult clients or a team that doesn't gel it's disappointing but we've signed up for it so we have to get on that would be my resolve it's, it's interesting that you refer to st- your own personal standards um, and then questioning the standards, whether they're constant throughout the, the industry. And yeah. you can understand why people do get frustrated with our industry. Yes, they do. Because of that yeah. variability of standards. Extremely. Extremely. So, so what? And even, I suppose, you know, it's actually the worst part of my job is chasing people. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, have you done this? I mean, I've been chasing an electrician all this week to give you an example to give me a quote for the clients which the contractor wants to send this is a guy who would actually say specify specific lighting controls supply the equipment and chasing him all week have you been on to the client you know it's because the builder is looking for the rest of our electrical plants and then this morning now i do understand see with brexit we have a bit of problems here with supply getting quotes it's much more difficult to deal with the uk now brexit this side of the water so eventually this morning, he sent an email to the client and myself saying there has been a delay with the quotes. Now, I understand that, but he could have sent it last Monday yeah, and saved yeah. me a lot of stress. And, and I think that's where I was going to go on to is um, because of the problems we've had globally, uh, change of government in uh, yes. America, uh, same case in, in the UK now, there, there seems to be a push towards the building sector, infrastructure and the like, being a a driver of, of economic recovery. Um, and I know there is a big push over in Ireland, particularly on the residential front as well. Yeah. But that then starts to create its own problem. Who and how fi- is it financed? And also, what about the skills gap? And there is a big dilemma we're facing, arguably, if we don't have the standards in place, and then we're looking to bring new entrants into the, to the um, industry, is there the chance it gets fragmented further? Or is this the opportunity actually for us to establish some recognised standards so that we, using the mantra over in, in, in the UK at the moment about build back better, that the better is given proper cognizance so that actually yes. there is a sustainable economic growth and a sustainable yes. industry that runs in parallel? Yeah, there. yes, all that point, that is extremely interesting. And at the moment, I noticed yeah, the big thing this side of the water is shortage of housing. Yeah. Particularly for the, uh, you know, social economic uh, sector and now a shortage of materials. Yeah. Uh, literally, as one of the flooring companies I was with during the week said, I believe there's a global shortage now of plywood, would you believe, which is, you know, the lower section of the engineered board. So that's delaying mills, etc. And there's timber shortage here in Ireland. And uh, it's it's now become actually government 
uh, hot topic at the moment this week, the shortage of housing and what they're doing about it. And you say shortage of trades. Yeah. I, you know, I'm not sure during lockdown, the only work that could go on was people working for the government. Mm-hmm. So th- it's hard to get a builder. I'm fortunate enough that site, some people were already engaged. So they were back and were starting again. But it is a problem. There's no doubt about it. And who owns that problem? Who are the right people that should be addressing that problem, in your opinion? Well, um, the government has to do its part. And there is a problem here now with these, as they say, vulture funds coming in and buying the big blocks of apartments and just buy to rent. And that's squeezing, even housing development, squeezing the people in the lower income brackets from even buying a home. Hmm. So that's not right. But the, so the government need to take hold of that in both sides. I think should there's a shortage of, problem, of properties in the UK at a certain price. Not everybody has the million and million plus to buy a house. So we need to think how are people going to get in the property ladder? Because most people want to own. It's And I suppose now, yeah, it is a problem. And architects and designers need to think, as you say, a bit more sustainable in even smaller houses and making them function better for a couple or a small family like they do in Europe. I think over here in Ireland, the obsession to own a house is enormous. Whereas in in Europe, as you know, in Paris, Madrid, people live in apartments and they're able to rent them for Mm -hmm. a long time and not feel that they're going to be squeezed out because the landlord wants a higher rent. Yeah, it needs special government policy from the top and then filters down into the design sector and how even us as interior designers can assist then for somebody to have a more comfortable, sustainable house, apartment, whatever, to live in and raise a family, if that's the case. And do you think there is enough communication amongst the design community in addressing those macro type issues? Um, No, not particularly. Probably better in the UK. I don't see it as such here. Um, There isn't a forum, which would be a good idea to have people from all sorts of different levels discussing all the various problems, even through a government housing sector, and then try and open it up on the table for discussion. There isn't, no. Because again, quite often the the kickback uh, the industry gets from governments like is that there isn't a unified voice in the industry. So um, we could spend a lot of time hearing disparate views and get nowhere. And therefore, engagement. And therefore, you know, there is an opportunity, as I say, for us as an industry to get our act together and get a very clear message. Um, But maybe that's utopian. No, I think it's true. I think both, yeah, government and construction industry and then bringing in the design team with so that there's one big forum to discuss ideas and hopefully that that will generate back into, as you say, better construction, better design, better lifestyle. Well, look, on that note, maybe that's a good point to bring our conversation to a conclusion, because that, that is the point, isn't it? It needs conversation of like-minded people to, uh, yes, to, to generate the thought and then align people behind those ideas and, and follow it up with some action. So so that was insightful, Philippa. Thank you so much. for. No, for thank you very much for inviting me. Um, my pleasure. And where could our listeners uh, get in touch with you if they wanted to, to learn more about what you do or about that content? Um, or just make we contact? have a website, uh, www.studio44.ie, and that has both the London and the Dublin address.
That's yeah. great. With your agreement. Nice. We'll, Thank you very much. We'll, we'll link that uh, to the podcast if you're, you're okay with that. Thanks, William. And to thank all you. our listeners today, thank you for, for tuning in. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Construction Big Breakfast. We have a new episode every two weeks, so click that subscribe button and turn your notifications on so you don't miss an episode. Uh, while you're at it, I'm sure Philip and I would really appreciate a five-star review. And if you enjoyed this episode today, please like it and share it as this helps reach more less listeners and promote the discussion we've just been referring to. And if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast or looking to collaborate in any other way, please visit us at our website, invent.com. The link is in the description as well. Fill out the contact form and one of our team can get in touch. So I'll just repeat my thanks to you, Philippa. I really appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks very you're much. Than, you're more than welcome. And to you all for listening. See you next time and enjoy the rest of the day. Want to learn more about how Invent can help your business maximize its bottom line? Head on over to www.invent.com and get in touch with our team today. Thanks for joining us this week on the Construction Big Breakfast. Make sure to visit our website, www.invent.com, where you can subscribe to the Construction Big Breakfast on all platforms so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a positive rating. Or if you'd simply share it with a friend, that would help us out too. Be sure to tune in for our next episode.